In this episode of the Give Sunday podcast, the audio is pulled directly from the video recording, so some parts may not make as much sense without the visual component. Don't worry, the vast majority is perfect for audio listening. If you'd like to watch this video, you can do so by heading to the Give Sunday YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening. Let's jump in. This is the Gibson ES330. Hey, I'm Cam from Gibson Sunday and Tone Throne, and today we're talking about the incredible Gibson ES330. The one I have here that we're looking at is my personal 330. This is a 1967 ES 330 TDW. Um, if you remember from my last video um, about the 335, 345, and 355 series, I talked about what those letters mean. But as a quick recap, T is for thin line. That's talking about the thickness of the body. D is for double pickups, and in this case, W indicates that this is a walnut finish guitar. Now, you're not gonna find that last letter every single time on every one of the guitars because it can be a lot to keep up with, um, but in this one, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you it is the W for walnut. The ES330 was released in 1959, only one year after the 335 was released, and the same year as the 355. So when this guitar, the 330 originally came out it was it was sandwiched between some really big hitters and had a lot of competition with some really big guitars the 335 being you know the incredible player that it is and then the 355 being this you know big ornate um kind of feature heavy guitar that the 335 wasn't and the 330 wasn't as well. So again, it had a lot of competition. Um, the ES330 was immediately available in both double and single pickup version. So it came with, um, as you see here, the, the double P90s and then one P90 just right dead in the center of the guitar um, between the neck and the bridge. And then with the trapezi tailpiece and then the tunomatic bridge placement. When the 330 was introduced, it featured a laminate body design and this decision likely reflected the cost effectiveness of building guitars in the post-war era. It wasn't, ex you know, it wasn't cheap to build guitars, especially coming out of the war, so it made sense um, to move to a laminate um, body design. And this was, you know, in contrary to the solid construction of the pre-war ES range, and this set the standard for the future ES production line. The 50s was a period marked by innovation at Gibson, and music was shaping culture in an entirely new way. And because of that, in 1954, the total number of electric guitars shipped exceeded the acoustic division of Gibson. So you're seeing a shift where musically you're moving away from acoustics, you're you know, into the electric line, this is 54, so the Les Paul is around. You know, where you're getting into um, the ES line where you're getting away from acoustics and you're getting into electrics. And so much of this had to do with where music had headed at this point. It was during this time that Ted McCarty was being pushed by Gibson's owners for more new electric guitar designs, and in July of 1955, the first thin lines were unveiled. Again, going back, a thin line is exactly what it sounds like. It's a relatively thin shaped body. Um, um, an example of a guitar that it, it similars that period without, you know, this is a little excessive, but obviously you can see the difference here. When you put them side by side, 
which one would you call the thin line? So that was it. You're seeing guitars pre-thin line that were pretty pretty thick, not as big as acoustics. Um, and that's what's interesting about this one, you can't really tell, but this is actually not as thick. It's not as wide as a normal acoustic. It's actually a little bit smaller, um, which is why I'm willing to use my Epiphone here as a comparison. The single cutaway hollow body electric arch tops are the middle ground between Gibson's deep ES arch tops and their slim solid body electric guitars like the Les Paul. The thin line was a hit and the range was quickly expanded to include the P90 equipped ES 225TD. Remember, T is thin line, D is double pickups. So when the single P90 ES330 arrived, it was somewhat overshadowed by the dual PAF 335 and 355. At the time, all double cutaway electrics were constructed from laminated maple with a pressed arch top. Even though the comparisons are unpreventable, the 330 and the 335, 45, and 55 are more like cousins and less like siblings. And here are some of the major differences. The 330 upon introduction, it was less expensive than the 35, 45 and 55. Now, I'm not sure exactly how to date this, you know, like actually, but to my understanding, part of what those indicator, those names of 330, 335, 45 and 55, what they represent was the price point at which they were introduced. Again, I don't know how to, I can't, I can't find a catalog from 1958 or 59. So if you have one, I'd love to see it. But the idea being that the 330 was introduced at $330. The 335 was $335, 45, 55, you get it. So this was $5 less than 335. It was $15 less than 345, and it was $25 less than the 355. That might not seem like much, but when you compare how much these guitars are now, you can see that that would be equivalent to a couple hundred bucks between each model. The 330 is fully hollow. The 35, 45, and 55 are all semi-hollow. Listen. hollow. It sounds, you know, like an acoustic with electric strings on it. Ah, not really. But the point is, it's hollow. The 35, 45, 55 are all semi-hollow. That's a big difference in sound, both acoustically and electronically. The 330, when it was introduced, had a short, a shorter neck. It felt shorter, and it was actually introduced at the body at the 16th fret rather than at the 19th fret. So you just didn't have as much runway on here as you did as the 35, 45, and 55 because those met the body at the 19th fret. The 330 was introduced with single and double P90s where the 35, 45, and 55 were dual PAF humbuckers. Completely different sounds. If you look at the 330, you'll see this is blank. So there's no crown headstock. The inlays were dot inlays. Stop tail pieces, or no stop tail pieces, um, and then tulip, no tulip tuner buttons. You can see here, these are the butter bean style tuners. The 335, 45, and 55, they had the crown headstock, they had the, the square inlays, they had the stop tail pieces, and they had the tulip tuner buttons. They were different guitars, but the, the thing that makes it seem like they're similar is not knowing the difference between semi-hollow and hollow. And then just visually, when you look at it, you know, when you just take your first glance, it it clearly looks like a 335, 45, and 55. Like there's an obvious 
you know, symmetry. There's an obvious parallel. Like they, they definitely look alike. It makes perfect sense why people would say that and make that conclusion. And that's why I said earlier that the comparisons are unpreventable. As the 330 and 335 line evolved, many of the changes to the 330 reflected those of the 335. From 1959 to 1962, ES-330s had dot markers. The neck shapes were quite similar, fat in 59, skinny in 60, and deeper in 64, and narrower at the nut from 65 onwards. So to go back, you can now see my square inlays. That's because this is a 67, and in 67, at that point, they had moved away from the dot inlays and moved into the square inlays, like the 335, 45, and 55 models. This one being a 67, it has an extremely, I mean, like damn near sarcastic how narrow this is. Among the many differences, the 330 was introduced with a neck joint at the body at the 16th fret rather than the 19th fret of the 335. However, the 330 did go on to a longer 19th fret like the 335 as early as 1967 and becoming standard in 1968. So for the first, um, what's that, eight years, for the first eight years of this body's life, it had a shorter neck on it. In fact, if you look up most 330s, you can see visually, you can just tell even from pictures that it just, it looks to be a little bit shorter. For even more changes, the 330 started out with Mickey Mouse ears, uh, which is my personal favorite, but later the horns became more pointed in late 1962. And that was actually the same year they discontinued um, the single pickup and moved to double pickups only. Um, going back to, so with this here, you it, you can kind of tell that it's a little bit pointed. I mean, it, it kind of has that there where they become a little more pointed. Um, it's not terribly obvious on its own, but when you hold it next to a 335 or a 330 with Mickey Mouse ears, it's, it's quite apparent how rounded those are. If you've never seen it, definitely do a quick Google search for like, 335 with Mickey Mouse ears and it'll it'll make way more sense, extremely round. Along with those changes, the other thing that you found to be changed was the headstock. Ah, I keep bumping it. The headstock angle shifted from 17 degrees to 14 degrees. So this is a less dramatic headstock angle break, break angle than what you're used to finding on like a Les Paul. It was a 17 like the Les Paul, uh, but it became a 14 degree break um, around 1965. The plastic pickup covers were switched for nickel plated covers late in 1962. And from 1965 on, all of the hardware, including the covers, um, were actually chrome plated. So these are not nickel. These are the chrome P90s. Because of 330, you know, sports a fully hollow body um, with P90s, this proved to be an issue for soloists who demanded sustain and feedback resistance. Having a hollow body means you're going to get more noise, specifically feedback, than you would if it were to have um, a chambered body with a uh, center block running down the center. So unlike the 335, 45, and 55, the 330 was not made for those kinds of solos or you know um or shredding that it just it doesn't work with this particular guitar so i mean as you can clearly see there were there's tons of reasons why the 330 had such strong competition the 335 45 and 55 were all very similar and then you had the 330 kind of standing on its own with its own differences but then taking on some of the properties of the 35 series 
And while all, of, while all of these differences were there, I mean, it's it's so many of these differences that makes the 330 such a special guitar. Well, to add to it, the 330 actually has a nearly identical cousin in the Epiphone Casino, um, which was also played by the Beatles, you know, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Paul McCartney, and then Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. So not only is this kind of confused for the 335 series, but even Epiphone has a guitar that's being played by the most popular band in the entire world. And then the, you know, and then the Stones, one of the most popular bands in the entire world. So the casino is getting all of this love visually, all of this love by the most famous people. And the 330 wasn't again, making it extremely difficult for the 330 and its sales. Due to the changing sounds of rock and roll and guitar music, the declining sales of the ES 330 led to it being discontinued in 1972. Since then, it has been reissued a few times by the Gibson Custom Shop division. Famous players of the ES 330 include BB King, Slim Harpo, and many more. At the time of this recording, the only 330 that you can purchase directly from Gibson is the Slim Harpo Lavelle Signature Model. If you never played an ES-330, you may not be looking for a different experience from the 335. But the very first thing you'll notice upon picking up the 330 is its weight and just how light it really is. The 330 is light. It is extremely light. The 330 is so light that you forget how light it is. And then you pick up another guitar and it blows you away at how heavy it is. Well. To continue the onslaught of comparison, the 335, because of its center block and because of the, the varying, um, you know, Bigsby tailpieces and all the things that you can add to it, the 335 contends with some less Pauls for the weight. The 335 can be heavy. In fact, my personal 88 335 is the heaviest guitar that I own. I mean, I've got a few guitars. They're not, you know, monsters by any means. It's not like I've got a Les Paul or anything but it is a heavy guitar. And even when I go from a Les Paul to, a th to my 335, I am aware that my 335 is usually heavier. So that's the first thing you'll notice when you pick up a 330 is just how stinking, I mean, I don't wanna like, I don't wanna you know, sit here and say how light it is and then drop it and make a mistake, but you get the point. This is an extremely light hollow body guitar. When you play the 330, it does play, A few moments later. When you play the 330, it does play a little differently than the 35 in its upper register and its upper frets. And because this is a hollow body, it means that high volume tones are likely to feed back as well. So any notion of using this as a shred guitar is just, it's kind of out of the question, kind of silly. I'm sure that someone's gonna do it, but whatever. Um, with all of these obvious differences, you know, these differences that are now obvious, you know, let's talk about the sound. Combining P90s with a hollow body means you're not gonna get the same sounds as you would with a semi-hollow and humbuckers. You're not only changing, um, you're not only changing a really obvious factor, like from one pickup to another, you're changing the, you know, the wood and the composition. It's, I mean, I was, I was actually trying to think of like a good comparison. Um, you know, when you change the pickups in a guitar, it's kind of like changing the engine in a car. When you change the thing that the car is made out of or the, the guitar is made out of, you're changing cars. 
you know, it's, it's just not, so you've got a new engine and a new like make, it's not the same thing anymore. And that's what's so interesting about this is that it's, it's such a different beast. Similarly, I tried to maintain a lot of my 335 practices with my 335 and just basically pick up and play. Three hours later. Uh, um, lost my track. They play differently. It's it's not it's not the same car anymore. It's not the same guitar anymore. They have different practices. I put tens on my thirty five, and these now sport elevens. There was something about this guitar that needed a heavier gauge and a little more tension. And I can now say for sure that after trying nines, trying tens, elevens were definitely the way to go. Getting elevens, getting it set up, this thing sings in an entirely new way that I was absolutely not expecting. With all of that, let's talk about what some of the people out there have to say about the 330. Guitar Player Magazine describes ES330 tone as woody and bell-like timber. Music Radar said, compared to our ES335, it's simply more hollow body sounding. It's older if you like. In lower volume settings, there's a character that isn't an ES-335. It sounds much jazzier. Grant Green is a great reference. Add some crunch and things get very swampy. Ideal for dirtier lo-fi sounds or alt-rock. Music Radar nailed it in their description of that. When I want to play... I'm originally from the South and I, I still have a deep love for that kind of like dirty Southern rock. And when I want to play those sounds, I come to this guitar because the growl that I can get in the neck position with a hollow body guitar, just, you know, make a lot of noise with it. It really does. Calling it swampy is a great sound. Dirty, lo-fi. It has a really just um, it has a warmth to it that others don't because of it being hollow. So maybe you never considered the 330 because of your love for the 335, 45, and 55, but maybe the 330 could be that dirty, warm, feedback 335 style monster that you've always wanted. So you should definitely go find your local shop or a friend that owns one of these and go give it a play. I wanna play a little bit now, but as a quick heads up, I will not be comparing it to a 335 in this video or any of the others. If you wanna hear what a 335 sounds like, go back and watch most of my videos. I play it all the time. I love my 335. And you can just have, you have to play A, B and see what they sound like in comparison. So with all that, let's hear how the Gibson ES 330 TDW sounds.
Hey, this is fun. Thanks so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed learning about the Gibson ES330. If you did, consider liking, commenting below, and subscribing. Thanks so much, and until next time, stay tuned. Thank you.